Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good to have you guys here today. This is, again, our, we're looking at a passage of Scripture today. We're doing a series called Five Words, and we're on our third word. Together, we're looking at a passage that's called The Blueprint for Marriage. It's in uh, the second chapter of the book of Genesis. You know, right after uh, Adam and Eve kind of meet each other, God says, you, we should... We should make this right. I want to define marriage for you. And that's where we find the definition of marriage. Chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in this one sentence, we have three of our five words. Just kind of a pop quiz if you've been here for a while. First word is leave. And we learn that you know, the parent's job is to say goodbye. It's, we're supposed to say, you be free you know, go start a new life. You can you start free, unintethered, right? It's your life. Enjoy. Second word we learned was cleave. And cleave means to bond or uh, weld or to glue. It's the idea of our souls getting connected to the person we're saying our vows to. And last week, again, when we expanded on the meaning of that word, we found that maybe the greatest difficulty that people have with that is is they carry around too much baggage from previous experiences or memories or values. And we said, you know, the best thing you can give to your mate is something clean to cleave to, to connect or, or, or glue to. And so please, by all means, you know, deal with those things, right? And leave, we used a video of a nail, leave your nails behind. Redefine yourself Essentially, redefine yourself the way God defines you. Believe those things that are true. Uh, Experience the attributes of God that can illuminate that, you know, that specific aspect of your life that's keeping you from connecting to other human souls and especially your mate. So there's leave, cleave, and then today we're going to look at the word one. It's the idea of one flesh. And one flesh means much more in the Bible than uh, simply the physical contact that we have with one another. And it's more than just a symbol of what's taking pl- place. It is uh, like things that are, are called in the Bible sacred. And sacred means set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose. And the purpose of one flesh is to, is to connect body, soul, and spirit. Not all body parts are created the same, and it's in this one flesh that we connect body, soul, and spirit together. So if, if one does these things, and it takes time, and it progressively gets, if we involve ourselves in this, it progressively gets deeper and better still. But if we leave and cleave and become one flesh, we have an amazing experience of, of spectacular result. The next verse says that. Adam and his wife were both naked and they fell no shame. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And again, we're talking, the Bible doesn't talk so much about the physical as much as it does the emotional and spiritual. And so they, forgive me, I'm so sorry. The idea is in, since marriage is a a sacred thing, it's set apart, marriage is set apart for a purpose, and the purpose is uh, to be protected and safe so that a person can give themselves entirely to another human being, And and they've promised to God they would never leave, right? And so, as one writer put it, very graphic, right, to unzip one's soul, that's what it means to be naked and unashamed, to unzip one's soul, right, mind, body, spirit. Emotion, will, all that, being exposed to this other person, the joy of life. Now, the problem is very few people experience this. 
we're, if, we're even, if we're even getting a hint of this experience with our husband or wife in this lifetime, it's a considerable amount of work. And so one wants certainly to wonder why. <laughs> if this is God's design and this is God's desire, then why is it so much work? Well, the reason is, is because uh, we're not the way we were meant to be. We were built to actually face out. Let me review. We were built, our design, our souls were designed to face out. And if you remember the Christian Jewish origination story of Adam and Eve, you'll, you'll see that uh, these two were completely in, like in the image of God, and they were to gaze outward. So the idea is their focus was outward continually, and they, they gazed upon the glory in the, of God. They gazed upon the beauty and the spectacular nature of creation, and they gazed into each other's souls. Their intellect, emotion, and will were entirely committed uh, to selflessness, to, to serving one another. They served God and his will completely. They served um, God's plan for nature to, to bring it right into control, and they served each other. And they, they, they had their needs met, not by pursuing their needs, but actually by meet, meeting the needs of God and other people. And all, the idea was, the, I guess in a sentence you would say, that innocence was self-forgetfulness. When we originally designed, we were absolutely self-forgetful. We, 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 would, we would have to be reminded about our own agenda or our own appearance or whatever it might be. And there was tremendous freedom in that uh, self-forgetfulness. And then I'll just continue the story uh, with the freedom that we had, that these two had that no one else has had since then. They violated the only prohibition that was there, and that was that Eve saw that the fruit was desirable and good for eating, and she took the fruit and ate from it and gave it to her husband, Adam, and he ate from it as well. But listen again, this cataclysmic consequence, look at what it says in verse 7 of chapter 3, and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. So... So immediately the consequence of, viol- of, of pushing God's rules away and saying that, you know, who, who tells me what to do, their immediate response is they turn inward and they see themselves as naked and shame-filled. So we went from unzipped to now zipping up. And again, there's so much more meaning here than the physical. Please see that. That now they've turned, they, they've, they've seen themselves naked and they need self-protection, both body and they cover themselves, but soul and spirit as well. And they cut themselves off from each other and, and, and against God. And now, you know, they're intoxicated with themselves. They're addicted to their own ambitions. They worship themselves, right? They gaze into mirrors. They serve their own self-interest. And that's the extent of their experience. Now, when we talk about the abundant life in the Bible, or even the eternal life in the Bible, it's, it's forever, but it's also in the present, the, that's found in somehow finding a way back to the way we were meant to be. In other words, if we can find our way back to to Eden, if we can head west, because we were chased out the east gate, right? If we can head west and find our way back to Eden, that's where we find the way we were meant to be and we can experience the abundant life. And so in the Newer Testament, when it gets very specific about uh, maturity, it it, it uses the word sometimes perfection or complete. Ultimately, it means, we see in cross-references, it means to be in the likeness of Jesus. As we become mature in our walk with, with Christ, and that, in, in other words, putting our faith 
those, those very specific promises that God has made for us and the attributes of God, when those start attacking the various illnesses within our soul, then we, become, then we start, what happens because we can become like Jesus, we start becoming facing out again. We start gazing outward, not inward. We start, you know, desiring to serve. Now, all of, keeping all of that in mind, I want you to see that marriage, right, is the deepest and fullest expression of this potential that we can experience in this life. It was, that was the case in the Garden of Eden. It's the case now. Marriage has the potential of giving us uh, the fullness of what it means to be human, alive, and a follower of, of Christ. Because it is in marriage that we can experience body, soul, spirit, intimacy, and connectivity, and vulnerability. Okay? It, 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 it forces us to face out. And what I love about today's word, one, is, is oneness, physical oneness, right? Intimacy with our husband or wife. It is both a means and an end to get us back to Eden. In other words, the idea of of the unity that we have as a potential in marriage okay, is a destination for us, body, soul, spirit, connectivity, but it's also oftentimes the means that we realize we need more and we need to be heading back to Eden and we need to do what we need to, whatever we have to, like, to be, again, trusting the promises of God in a very specific way to make that happen. Here's the goal of today. Okay, I, want you, I want us to all like, try to understand how marital intimacy, okay, brings us to this emotional, spiritual, and physical connection, okay? I want, I want us to see how um, marital intimacy will, will give us a picture, but it will also be the, the road out back to Eden so that we, as we start facing out towards our lover, we can see that intimacy, marital intimacy, is actually worship. Okay, as we become more mature in our lives, then we will learn that we need to see past beauty and gaze, I'm, I'm sorry, past pretty and then gaze at beauty. Okay, as we become more mature, we're going to have, we're going to, this is, our marital intimacy is going to force us to see past pretty and gaze at beauty instead. It's going to, you know, as, again, as we become self-forgetful, we're not going to be trying to serve our own needs and that's going to happen in, in our intimate life. It's going to force us to start serving the needs of our mate. Okay, so here's, here's my outline again. Okay, we're going to see how marital intimacy, this oneness of flesh, is unique because it will help us, right, worship that intimacy is worship. Intimacy in marriage causes us to gaze out, and intimacy, again, in marriage will cause us to serve our mate. Watch this. Okay, let's first of all, intimacy in marriage itself is worship. Now, for you to believe that to be true, you, you, you kind of have to be, comp well, the whole hard drive has to be cleared, right? Wipe clean and start over because our culture today, uh, sex, and I use that intentionally, I'll use sex on purpose and intimacy as, as something that's more meaningful, but today sex is only a physical thing. It's, at most, it's visual, and it's only physical because that's the value that man has. He's just a mammal. And now when that happens, when you have that value system, Intimacy in marriage will always, or sex in marriage, will always find itself lacking or fleeting because when it's reduced to that, it's superficial. And, it, and it, we easily become bored. 
This, this, this is obvious proof. The whole pornography industry is built on this, on this understanding, this logical uh, value that when sex is that shallow, it leaves us wanting more. Think about this. Why is there another movie coming out in the porn industry? Why is there another photo coming out? Ha- has, haven't all the pictures been taken, really? You know, haven't all the movies been shot by now? And men and women have like hard drives, stacked hard drives, full of these things, right? But they've got to have another one. <laughs> Why? Because they have to see somebody else do something that they saw somebody else do exactly the same thing. I mean, again, nothing's new under the sun, but it's because it's, th- this type of pleasure alone is junk food for the soul. It never satisfies the soul. It never gives it what it wants. It always wants more. And not only does this kind of superficial sensuality uh, not fulfill, but it also starves out our deeper desires for intimacy in emotion and spirit. So it's, it's choking out our spiritual life. It chokes out our desire for the holiness of God. It chokes out our desire for, for pleasures that God has for us. So again, let's just, you know, uh, again, sensuality over here, it's not even in the game for humans because it just keep, it keeps us as animals. But if you look at the Bible, if you want to see that intimacy, um, our marital intimacy is worship, you, you, you go back to what the Bible says about sexual intimacy as, as worship. Look, look just give me, let me give you two points of kind of reference on this. Look at the, just the creation experience, right? God created Adam and Eve, male and female. Now, some of you are engineers and, and design things, or maybe, you, I don't know, whatever, have an imagination to think, don't you think God spent, I don't know, uh, an unusual concentration of pleasure receptors in certain parts of our anatomy? I mean, wouldn't it, right? I mean, just like think about this for a second, right? I have almost no feeling in my elbow, but there are other parts of me that, that have a lot of receptors. And so God, God made us that way. That's not like the devil's doing. And when he made Adam and he made Eve, and he, again, he unevenly distributed these experiences in our anatomy, he said it was very good. It was very good. This is the way it was meant to be. Uh, in ancient, in ancient uh, Israel, uh, a married wife had uh, three basic rights from her husband. One, that she would be clothed. That she, two, she'd be fed. And then she had a right to physical intimacy independent of procreation. Because she had a right to enjoy herself. Because God designed us that way. God designed us that way. There, there was a medieval scholar, a Jewish scholar that was famous at the time for not just his Jewish scholarship, but also his philosophy. And he would write, you know, books and letters and they would be sent out. And he would recommend to all the members of the synagogues that they should practice marital intimacy every Sabbath day because it was part of the creation story. Now, there's some homework that you can take home from church, Right. But it's not just creation, right? It's not just creation and anatomy. It's also the idea of conception, the idea of of a man and a woman coming together. And friends, something happens. A new life is started. And I'm not talking about a physical life. I'm talking about a soul and a spirit is created. So this is way above our pay grade to understand what's happening because something eternal is taking place. 
Again, you see the mystics, in this, and, and scholars try to identify this. I found a wonderful quote. Listen to how God is involved in this, because it's more than animal. He said, through the act of, of intimacy in marriage, they become partners with God in this act of creation. Now, this is a mystery that the sages have long said, that when one man unites with his wife, and it's in holiness, the very presence of God, it says the Shekinah of God, is between them, and it is a mystery between a man and a woman as they form a new uh, spirit. Intimacy in marriage is worship because it was designed that way to be worship. And so if, if guilt is, is like higher on your level or some other emotion than gratitude, then you need to get on this because that's not the way it was meant to be. And when we look at, at this oneness, let me, here's the theme. We've got to get God into this one soul, this, this, this one soul, one flesh part of our, our married lives. And you do this by praying. Honest to goodness, you pray about this. You, you, you have a right to pray as an individual when your husband or your wife holds you in a very special way that's unique to that relationship. And you can just say, thank you, God. This is it. This is awesome. This is beautiful. This is what you want. Here's a homework assignment, right? When you are enjoying each other, you can pray. Stare into each other's eyes and thank God. Don't do this, you know, King James prayer. You don't want him in there, you know? <laughs> Just be honest to God saying, yes, this is from you. And this is this, uh, for, for your glory. It's, he, when you close the bedroom door, God doesn't turn his head away. Naked and, naked and unashamed was God's idea. That's what he wants us to have. He wants to be invited in this process to make us new, to experience spiritual, spiritual events in our intimacy with one another. Okay? Marital intimacy is worship. But listen, it's also a way that brings us to gazing into beauty, gazing past pretty and into beauty. And here's why. Because marriage is this, this raw force that brings sexual intimacy into like the permanence because the relationship is permanent. And that sexual intimacy is now connected with the journey of our lives together. Because all, in our lives together, as we're living this life together, we're, we're experiencing this overlap, this thing that is constant, sexual intimacy with our, our companionship, our, our responsibilities in life, our raising our children, those sorts of things. And they intertwine. And I, I think the idea here is, uh, uh, here's a saying, grow old along with me. I mean, it's a wonderful lyric of a song, grow old along with me, because the idea is, is this, you know there's this certainty of just growing old. But you're not afraid of that growing old because we're going to do this with me together in this naked and unashamed potential. Let me put it in a negative way. If your love or affection or your enjoyment of your mate is because he or she is pretty, right? if you're just seeing into pretty instead of through pretty and seeing beauty, then you're tying your joy or your happiness to time, <laughs> okay? And time always wins, and you always get your butt kicked. Time always wins. And that, and that is shallow, and, it's, and it leaves you, and it's gonna leave you 
wanting something else, something newer. But, right, if you connect your intimacy, the sexual intimacy that you have with each other and the enjoyment of gazing into beauty with the experiences that you have in life, serving God together, making your lives a spiritual thing together, praying regularly together, raising the children, suffering, sometimes those are the same, right? And we're saying, wait, this is bringing this all together in our lives. And marital intimacy kind of, it, it leads us to that. It gives us that clue there must be something more, but also forces us there because we are regularly seeing each other growing old. So the Bible says, focus on the soul behind the skin. Focus on the character that you're going to go through life together because as we age, our character has the potential of getting more beautiful while our body just sags. So um, Peter says this. Look in his instruction to women. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3, your beauty, he says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles or wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Why? Because that's just pretty. It's just pretty. That's all it is. But then he says in verse 4, rather, it should be that of your inner self, your soul, your spirit, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. That's what God sees when he sees you. And, he, and he's saying, ladies, that's what you ought to be looking at. You should be gazing at souls. And he's saying to the men, men, look at your wives. Gaze through the skin. There's a soul in there. And look at her grow in her walk with God. Look at her grow in her, right, in, in her gentle, quiet spirit. I saw a bumper sticker this week that said, uh, <laughs> You don't need a better body. You need to read better books. Kind of works here, doesn't it? Listen, you don't need a better body. You need to read better books. You need to work on your mind, your spirit, your soul. The other thing, it's on its way out. Appetites can change. You learn to like certain foods. That's why in other cultures they'll eat snails or spiders, and we won't, and we never will. Because we never want to learn to eat those things. But if you have children, you've, le- you've taught them to learn to like the things that are good for their bodies. And so we can learn, we can learn to gaze at, at character. We can learn to gaze at beauty. We can learn to see God, from God's perspective when he looks at a soul, we can learn to gaze at that. This is God's standard. This is gold standard right here, 3130 out of Proverbs Charm is deceptive, pretty is fleeting, amen. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord should praise herself. A man who's married to a woman who, prays, who fears the Lord should be praised by her husband. Facing out, right? it, for, it brings us to gazing on things that are more substantial, and it's the idea of sharing the journey. And, then, and when we look at the body, we, we've trained ourselves to look at our mate in a way that we see the, the wrinkles and the ribs, the rolls, whatever, the, the scars, literally are the scars of our life together, scars of our journey with one another. My wife has a scar that I, I love because it, it speaks of her fortitude, her quiet, uh, her quiet courage. It, it's because of, of a cesarean section that she had and, and had again. And, and uh, you know, admittedly, the first time wasn't planned. It wasn't much of a choice. But the second and third were. And, and, she's, and I, that's, a, that's a scar of our journey together that I love in her, on her. 
And she loves this scar on my head when she hit me with this bedpan because I fell asleep <laughs> while she was in labor for 18 hours. And you should fall. You, could, you can take a nap during that. That's not true. She didn't leave a scar. So, so let's, the, the examples of this are everywhere. Okay? Something that's, that's pricey but some, versus something that's valuable. Something that, that changes value with age. Look at our Steinway over here. I mean, there are a few things as valuable as a brand new Steinway piano. You know what's more valuable than a new Steinway? An old Steinway. This one. Seasoned. Oh, it's got chips and dings in it. But if you know anything about pianos, you'd rather have that one. Because it's been climate controlled for over 40 years. It's regularly tuned. Those keys are warm. And if those strings could talk, they would tell you of the marvelous spiritual things that took place while they were vibrating. Marital intimacy makes us abandon pretty and turn towards, pre- towards beautiful and say to our mate, you, you are Steinway. We're growing old together. And now, right, with that, with that value, and she knows or he knows if you're saying it truthfully, now there's freedom right, and trust and enjoyment and not fear of growing old and growing ugly because you're growing beauty in this. Naked and unashamed. Okay. You, want, you want to change and turn that into gazing into beauty? You have to bring God into this. You have to bring God into this. That's, you, and you do that through prayer. And just like you prayed in our first little application that, that he is part of your experience together, you pray this. You say, Lord, give me this. Let my wife, let my husband define beauty. Let that be the gold standard that I, that I evaluate everything else from. Cause my mind not to wander or drift or my eyes to deviate from that. Let me be amazed with her as, as life makes her more beautiful in every choice that she makes to serve you. That's what it means. That's how you, that's how you bring an experience naked and unashamed in marriage because then you'll, you'll change from seeing to gazing into beauty, okay? Okay, so marital intimacy is worship. It's gazing. It's also service. Marital intimacy is service because, again, superficial sexual experiences, they're fleeting, and they're entirely selfish. They're turned in. I mean, listen to our figures of speech. Please forgive me. I can't believe I I don't like saying these things from this place, but when people talk about sex, they say, did you get any? Well, it's all about you, isn't it? Did you get any? And even sometimes another figure of speech was, was it good for you? Because I want you to, to affirm that I'm a good lover because it's still about me. That's, that's, that's not what God designed for us. He designed for us to serve one another and to, to discover each other's legitimate needs because we are the only human being on the planet that can fulfill those needs. And our life together in marriage is is this continual kind of a negotiation of what's appropriate for us. For us. What's what's our rhythm going to be? What's our frequency going to be? What's, What's okay for you and okay for me? Right? 
And, and, that, and that place is found over practice and years and there's cycles and seasons of life. But the point is, it's, you, it's this, this coming together of, of understanding, seeking first to understand and then to serve. It's funny, that there was a, a report that just came out to undo a report that came out before. In 2004, a rather famous Carnegie Mellon University survey came out that said this. It said that people that are happy in marriage have more frequent sexual experiences. Okay? So there it is. Okay? More sexual experiences, they're happier couples. Okay? So, so the application went out because people don't know what logic is anymore. So the application went out. If you have more sexual experiences together, you'll be happier. <laughs> right? Have you ever heard of post hoc ergo proctor hoc? No? Okay. So uh, a correlation, okay, correlation does not imply causation. Because, because they were having more sexual experiences didn't mean that, that, that's not what caused happiness. They were happy, so they were maybe having these. So there was no causation, but everybody connected them, and everybody, people couldn't wait. Well, this, the same group, group, Carnegie Mellon, said, okay, let's do a causation one, and we're going to use logic this time. And so they brought a bunch of happily married couples in. Everybody qualified happily married. And they looked at their frequencies. When some couples were having intimacy once a month. Some were three times a week. It didn't matter, okay, because they were happy with where they were. Then they took half the group and they put them over here and they said, okay, double it. Double it. So the three times a week were six times a week. The once a month, once a month were twice a month, okay? And this group over here, and then these were our, our normal group, right? They stayed the same, okay? First of all, a few things that they came out, just reported in August, okay? This is a three-week-old survey uh, response. It took years to do. This group over here, 60% of them couldn't even double. They couldn't even do it, okay? And then of, of the 100% that were required to double, and they tried, okay, here's, here's there it was, they had 100% of them had a significant less amount of energy, excitement, or joy in their marriage. Why? Why? Causation? It didn't cause it. It caused it to backfire. Because happy couples face out to serve one another. And these happy couples had negotiated over time, this, this is right for us. And we don't serve some national survey. We don't care about what other people think or some guy with a clipboard telling us to do this more often. That was not us is what happened. That was not us. And so if you want to bring service into your marriage, right, in the context of marital intimacy, you, you, you have to talk and you have to see what legitimate needs are and you have to go to God and you say, how do I serve this person more effectively? And it takes time, and there's seasons and cycles of life, and they change. And men are going, what? You're so complicated. And girls are going, huh, really? And that's okay. And there's fun in there because you're, you're turning out in service. You want to bring God in on that? You just pray. You ask God. You say, God, how do I, how do I listen for his needs or her needs? How, how, do, how do we become naked and unashamed Again, how do we get back to Eden? Let me conclude briefly. This is a difficult subject, no, no doubt, for so many people to hear. It's not easy for me to speak on. And here's why. Because most of us are introduced to some kind of sexual experience, visually or, or experientially, before we were ready. Okay? Not emotionally, physically, or spiritually, we couldn't process what we were being exposed to. 
And, and a lot of times that, that, ex, that experience like stamps us quite frequently with an emotion and it, and it seems indelible. And it, some of that has to do with the proof of the power of, in, of the sexual encounters, okay? Because not all body parts are created equal. And some, go, some are wired straight to our soul. And here, I want you to hear this. It is worth every effort for you to make to be free of this. It is worth every dime that you could spend. It is worth every, you know, uh, act of courage that you need to go through so, so that you can, you can make this a journey where you end up being a hero because you're not afraid of a door getting kicked in that you've been, that's been hiding me for so long, right? And here, hear this. This is a truth. You tell your friends this, okay? Shame only has power in the shadows, okay? Shame only has authority over you as long as it's dark and hidden and put away. And I want you to know that, I mean, truth will set you free, okay? Bring this, bring whatever this is, mild or, right, or, or bending, bring this into the light of God's promises, God's character in, a, in the context of love, and this truth will set you free. And you will love that freedom. You will love that freedom, that newness, that, that new virginity, that new innocence and self-forgetfulness. Sexual intimacy, right, is a lot more, not more, is about a lot more than touch and physical pleasure. It is, like I said, it is an act of worship. That's how it was designed, and we can get back there if we turn out, right, and we bring God into those events. It is, it is a place where we can choose regularly to, to gaze so, to, to say, gaze at beauty and be annoyed with the superficiality of, of pretty. And it is a place for, we, for, for us to give and serve and enjoy. It is, it is a place of spiritual connectivity with another human soul who has a spirit and with God himself. My prayer is that we would unzip. That, that This is the last final homework. We have three types of prayer today. And then the last one is, could you see yourself just grabbing that zipper and pulling that down, soul and spirit, in a new way. Could you gift that as a gift? Could you gift that to your mate this week? Could you look into that, what it means to be vulnerable in the safety of a promised covenant with God? Let's look into that. Let's pray for that, okay? Lord Jesus, we lift up to you our souls, uh, our spirits, and even our bodies, we ask, that, Lord, that you would bathe us in truth and understanding about what you have declared to be true about sexual intimacy and marriage. The beauty of it, the worship of it, uh, the depth of it in seeing souls for who they are, for the beauty of their souls, and the opportunity to give and to serve. And Lord, I'd ask that you would um, make us new again. Make us bold and, and enjoy this again. Lord, I'd ask that you would give us uh, this gift of courage to choose to, to choose to see our lives as you would desire us to see them. Our marriages. As, would you give us this gift, God? Would you give us a bre- just a smell, maybe a small taste of Eden? So that that would 
that would be the thing that draws us and makes us want more. This closeness with each other and, 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 and intimacy with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 